0: Welcome back. We're starting the 20th chapter of Ilhot This chapter is very interesting. It deals with something that, um, when I first started this, I thought this was extraordinarily, um, let's say, progressive. Um, and it deals with the assumption of how much girls are supposed to receive as gifts from their fathers when they get married. So that's the main topic of this subject and how What's your order, order of priority when the father didn't specify what they are supposed to get, and then he dies? Halacha Aleph. Sivu hachamim Shaitan adam min chasav me'at le'bito ke'ze she tinase bo, ha par prescribed that a person must give a little bit of his assets to his daughter, so that she she gets married, she brings it in, into the marriage, and that's what's called parnasah. The if someone is is married his daughter and uh, and did not specify any gift, then at the very very least, at least it's expected that he gives her her basic basic needs, which is uh, basic garments, basic clothings um, Like uh like a, any wife of the poorest person of Israel would be entitled to from her husband. Shebearnu, as we explained in uh when are we saying that? And this is all when he was Himself, a poor man, the father. But if he, if he was wealthy, he should give her as much as he can afford. Halachabet. bet, will specify that these gifts that the father needs uh, should give to his daughter are um, are waivable. The father can de- can decide not to give this gift. Pidesh alabal <laughs> So the father said to the husband, okay, you're going to marry my daughter, but in the condition that I give her absolutely nothing. She doesn't take even, even undergarments from my house. You have to provide for everything. In If the husband agrees, then that means that he agreed to clothe her and to provide for her, and then she takes nothing. And then the husband, as soon as he agreed to that, he assumes a responsibility over uh, dressing and providing for his newlywed wife, even before she comes to live with him. He starts to provide for her. Al shemet Father passes away; he leaves a daughter behind. The bedin tries to estimate, tries to read into his mind when he was alive how much he would have wanted to give to his daughter and that's what they give to her and how do they know how much he would have given to his daughter from the environment from his friends his family members um, and from uh, the way he he did business if he was generous if he wasn't generous how how much he cared about what people thought of him and what they'd say that his daughter uh, is getting, etc. So too, more obviously, if he married another daughter while he was alive, we'll look at what he did for her. Very interesting. If we don't know, if we don't have any evidence or any (coughs) hints as to what he would have wanted, we assume that he would have wanted to give to his daughter one tenth of his possessions. So, a daughter, this should give you an idea of what Hachamim thought should be the average. A daughter should get about a tenth of the possessions of the father when she gets married. <laughs> If there is multiple daughters and all of them want to receive something from the estate upon their getting married, so each one that comes to get married, if we have no idea how much the father will have given to her, we said we give them 10%, but the 10% that we give is always 10% of the assets at that moment. So the first one will get 10%. The second one will get 10% of the 90%, namely 9%. The third one will get 10% of the 81%, namely 8.1%, and so on and so forth. The Imbau kulan e'ahat. Rishona nautelet aesur, veashenia aesur ma'sha shiira aesona, veashashit is shiira aeshenia, veken afilu en aeser, vehozrot veholekot kula aesurim beshavé, ushara nehasim l'achim, if they come multiple of them to get married at the same time then we do the following we see how many they are and we assume that each of them is going to be the first one some of them the second one some of them the third one and so on and so forth so each of them will get 10% of what's left over just like the first case however we put everything into a pool and then we divide up that pool equally so if if it was three of them the first one gets 10% second one 9%, or 8, 8.1%, which ends up being uh, 17.1%. So that pool of 17.1% is divided by three equal parts. And then the other brothers get the remaining 80, 82.9%. I'm sorry, um, 72.9%. So it's it's um it's it's twenty-seven point one percent, and then uh, the remainder is seventy-two point nine percent. This tenth that we assume for the parnasa is not one of the conditions of the Ketubah. Therefore, even even um, for those, the geonim that said that some things of the ketubah should be taken from ital this is not uh, part of the ketubah, and therefore it can only be taken from karka, from uh, fixed assets, from real estate. and they can take this tenth from renting out property. not mean and if the brothers decide that they want, they prefer to give to, to their sister a, um, a another kind of assets or a monetary amount compar- comparable to, to what she would have gotten otherwise from the karka, they can do so and then they keep the karka, they sell it or they do whatever they want with it. Halachavav <laughs> ze. I'm sorry. So, what is the status of the girl with respect to the brothers in what regards this Aysur, this 10% that she is deemed to receive from the father as a gift for her wedding? So this is like a balhof, this is like a creditor to the brothers. We treat we treat her as we treat creditors under the estate. What does that mean? So if there's three kinds of land, one is a good land, one is a medium land, one is a bad land, and mostly this this was relevant for, uh, not for the price that they had, but, well, also for the price, but not, not for the value of the total land, because that had to do with area as well, and what's planted in it, but it had to do with its potential for income, because bad land cannot have a lot of income, and It has to do with the transferability. The good land is the most liquid, it's the easiest one to sell. So she takes from the Benonit, like all creditors, and there needs not be a Chevwa. If the if the brothers died, then she takes it from the Ziburit. Ziburit means the, the bad the bad land and through Shavo. Because then if uh, if she's taking it from the brothers who died, she's taking it from their yetomim. And we said in other places already, and it's going to be specified in Khotalva'ah, that when you want to uh, you want to take something away from the Yetomim, you need and you can only take it from the worst kind of land. Just like any other creditor, if the brothers go ahead and sell that land that their sister would otherwise have taken 10% from it, then the sister now, as a creditor, can go and get back and attach that obligation that they had to her to that land. Just like any creditor does, we'll start in 18. Let's say someone had several daughters. Some of them were adults and they got married while he was alive. And some of them were left, uh, left orphaned while being minors and not married. So just to refresh our memory, those minor girls should receive mezonot so long as there is boys. So, in other words, the boys get the estate, the girls get mezonot, the married ones will get nothing. However, if there is only girls, they all get the estate. So, we would think that the ketanot get not only the mezonot, but they also get the gift for their wedding. So, we already said in the last chapter they don't get mezonot, but now we are specifying also they don't get parnassa now we are in a scenario where everyone gets an inheritance and therefore there is no obligation of Parnassah. The obligation of Parnassah comes to, more or less, to compensate the girls for not getting the inheritance. If they are getting the inheritance, there is no mezanot and there is no Parnassah. Let's say someone dies, and he has one son and two daughters. The first daughter goes, she gets married, and she goes ahead and takes tenth, a tenth of the estate. I'm sorry, it's not if she gets married. It's also in order for her to get married. So she goes and takes a tenth of the estate as Parnassá. Uh, I miss the last word. And there wasn't enough time, the second one didn't get to, to take her parnasa. Let's say she lived somewhere else. Until now their brother died. So the brother now leaves Yorshim, and those Yorshim are Yetomim. And then all the Nechasim fall back to them because, for example, the brother had no Yorshim. Then the second one now doesn't get this parnasada that the first one got because now they both are entitled to some Yerusha and therefore we are in a different world right now, the world of Yerusha and they both split it equally as a Yerusha. And the first one keeps the Aisur that she took before the brother passed away. Because now they are splitting an inheritance that comes really from the brother. So the brother had gotten the inheritance. He died without children. As we'll see later, this means that it goes back to the father, but the father has, has died. And then it goes to the father's heir, which is first his sons. He has no other brothers. And then if he has no sons, his daughters, which is his two daughters, so they'll inherit their brother. And by inheriting their brother, now they are splitting everything equally and... They cannot no longer claim anything that they could have received under the inheritance of the father. We are in a different inheritance right now. <laughs> if someone, just like someone, can stipulate before marrying his daughter off that there is not going to be a parnasah, you can also stipulate before dying that there is not going to be a parnasah for any of his daughters and they end up with nothing. This is just a presumption that the father would want to give. If the father is showing us very explicitly that he doesn't want to give, then we honor this request because it's not one of the tenaim of the ketubah. It's just something hachamim prescribed that it's a, a an appropriate thing to do. If someone dies and he leaves behind a widow and a daughter, we already said that the widow takes precedence over the daughter in terms of mezonot. Also, and this I think is more obvious, if there is only enough money for either mezonot of the mother or mezonot of the daughter, we give precedence to the mother, and how much more so that the daughter doesn't get parnasah at the expense of the, the mezanot of the mother? The, uh, not only the mother, it could be also uh, a widow that's not her mother. sorry, and so too, if the this uh, this daughter. Dies after after getting married, so in in the ketubah it's stipulated that the husband will inherit anything that she's entitled to. So you would think that now the husband has a very strong claim. He has a claim of yerushal of his wife, but it's a claim on something that was never really his wife's, because this obligation was always subjugated to the right of the of the wife of the of of the first widow to get mezonot from her deceased husband, from the father of this girl that just died. If the if the orphan girl, while not being a, an adult, she was a katana, the mother or the brothers betrothed her to someone um, with her agreement, and then they gave her as parnassa something that they decided they thought would be appropriate, like a hundred or fifty zuzim, but presumably much less than what would be a tenth of the estate of the father. When she grows up, she can go and claim the rest, the remainder of what she would have been entitled had the Beddin given her a parnassa either what the Bedin thinks the father would have wanted to give her, or a tenth of the value of all the real estate that he left behind. (coughs) And this is even if the the brothers were not providing mezonot to her, And even if she agreed to to this amount the moment she got married, but she was a minor, and therefore uh, we we don't take her lack of protest as an agreement out of capacity. We ignore it and we let her come and protest when she grows up. So same example, but now she is older. So she's older when she's getting married, whether she's na'ara or bogeret. Na'ara means after 12 years of age and after the onset of uh, puberty, the later of the two. If the brothers gave her mezonot, which she wouldn't have been entitled to, like we explained, and she didn't claim that she wants Parnassah instead. We assume that she was happy with our arrangement, and she loses the parnasata. However, if she does protest, then she still can claim the Parnassah. Pasku, I'm sorry, Pasku means that they stop, not that they give her, but they, that they stop uh, to give her. I, I misspoke. If the brothers hadn't stopped supporting her, they continued supporting her even after she became Bogeret, and they don't give her Parnasa when she gets married, then we can say that she assumed that the Parnasa is still going to come. So she her lack of protest is not held against her, and she can still protest mansion so long as they continue supporting her she on because she could say because they they were continuing to support her even though they weren't obligated to and and she hasn't yet gotten married so she assumed that, that the parnasai is going to be something that she gets upon marriage and that's why she hasn't demanded it yet. In other words, just to review al-chayyot-gimal, the point is that the moment that the girl becomes a Bogerit, which means she's no longer entitled to mezonot, that's when she has to claim the Parnasah and let the brothers uh, live in peace ever after and not come and claim it ten years later because they, they, they sort of want to start a new page to cut economic ties with her. So, the, 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 in, on the other hand, even if she's bogated, if they haven't uh, cut economic ties with her and they are still support, supporting her on her basic needs, then she doesn't yet need to claim the Parnassah. She can claim it as soon as they stop supporting her. yud dalit. Last halakha of the chapter. If someone in his Sava'ah, before he dies, he, he 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 requests that his daughter be given so and so for her Parnassah in order to buy land, whether he was Shechim Ra, which means someone who is about to die, or he was healthy, and then he dies, and he left, he left the money with a third party. And then the daughter said, just instead of buying the land like my father said, just give this amount to my husband and let him decide what he wants to do with it. Uh, if, if she was a Gedola, uh, if she was an adult, and she just got married. So the Shalish is holding the money until she gets married, right? So now she gets married. And she says, I know my father said to buy me a land, but I just want you to give it to my husband. So if she was an adult and then she gets married, she gets married, then she's entitled to, because we assume that what the what the father had meant is for this third party to have a shalichut, to have agency over this money only up to the moment of marriage. Now that she's married, even though that this emissary the Shalish a third party still would have instructions to fulfill his mandate has finished so he just gives it to her and lets her do whatever she wants with it however if she still when she when when he gives her the parnasah, so she's not set yet she's not at the first stage of of marriage then the Shalish is still deemed to continue with the mandate of the shalichut of the father, and he should go and buy that land as the father had asked. If she's not an adult, she's still a minor, and she gets married, then it doesn't matter if it's erusin or nisuin, even if she went into nisuim, we don't listen to her, but rather we let the Shalish continue and finish the shaliḥud, like the father had asked, the father should do what uh, the, the shaliḥ should do what the father had prescribed him to do. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen.